You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. The title of the message tonight is Men on a Roof. Where our collaborative faith can take us. This is a very unique story that we're going to see. Uh, it is something I often reference. I speak about it all the time. But it is one of a kind. You don't see many stories quite like it. And so when you find something unique in the scripture, you should always look very closely because there are lessons to be learned. There's something that God is uniquely trying to speak to us. And so as I meditated on this word today, directed by the Spirit of God, He began to teach me things and tell me things about our collaborative efforts together, what the body of Christ is together. And I'm going to talk about the collective. And uh, as we begin, the collective, meaning it's like, uh, although we are eclectic in the sense that we are all different, we are collected together. Um, we're like a collection of artifacts all put in one place, treasured possessions of the Lord, but yet we are all uniquely different. It says here in Matthew 18, 18, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This, of course, speaks of the authority of the church or the people together who make a choice and believe and decide about something when we decide that it will be, and God will back that up. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So here... Jesus is talking about the agreement of the church and that we come into an accord, an agreement, an arrangement together about some objective, something we want to do for God, for where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. So we see here me, you, and God together in the church. That really is the church, you and me together with God in the middle. So we become the amalgam of souls, ancient souls, supreme God, with our created souls together with him. Our spirits bear witness with each other and we're drawn together in a collective. And that's really what I'm focusing on tonight. Jesus spoke these words to the disciples and later he also mentioned, or it was mentioned in the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 12 to 14, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So here at the group, of course, there, these are sad times for them. But they're also rejoicing at the fact that they did see Jesus resurrect. They've just spent 40 days with him. Now he's ascended up. The angels had to tell them to even come where they are here. And what's interesting about this is that before Jesus said that, look, after I go, okay, I'm a sinner spirit, but don't go to the city and wait. Wait for the promise of the Father. So he told them that you stay together in a group, but also make sure that the Holy Spirit is with you. Make sure that you have this collective of God and man together. Multiple people, one true God in spirit that is here with us powerfully. And so they all join together constantly in prayer, which is what we do at church. And then finally, Acts chapter 2, speaking also of the collective, it says in the first verse, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. So Jesus taught that uh, when we are gathered together in the collective of souls, in our collaborative agreement, we, we make coordinated choices together that form the synergy of what we hope for. In other words, we hope for the same things. I can say some statements, and I'm sure you would agree. I hope that, that we can be used of the Lord to, to win souls. I hope that revival comes to Singapore. I hope and pray that God pours His Spirit out in mighty and powerful ways in the coming days. Now, we all agree with that together in this place, and the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and we together 
are in unity here in communication with God, saying, God, we want you to come do whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, wherever you want to do it. We are yielding. And this synergy of our agreement about that is what causes the Spirit to come. And it also is what causes the objectives of the Father to be accomplished by us, human beings here on earth. So this, this synergy is the mix of man and God's Spirit accumulating power as a collaborative unit to accomplish God's work and purposes on earth. And so in this message, as we're looking at these principles, I want to talk about the story of the friends of the paralytic to examine this phenomenon and, and this effect, how it works, this collaborative faith. And that's what this is all about. Seven things about the synergy of hope. And this is our collaborative faith. You as an individual have faith. I as an individual have faith. Our faith, my faith, I should say singularly, mine that I, pos I possess, my faith can save me. My faith can heal me. And Jesus says your faith has made you whole. We saw that recently. And that dimension, we all have to work out our own salvation. We have to claim the Lord. We have to accept Jesus. We have to pray individually. And that's good. There's things that must be done alone. Sometime back I did a message called Alone with Jesus where we saw Peter all the times he was alone and the things that must be done alone. All that is part of the development of our faith. But after that, then we see the unity of the body of Christ. We see the need to be together as a group with a collaborative faith that we all agree on the same thing. This is really the most powerful element or the most powerful thing about church and about the church, universal and local, is agreement. That's why, as I've said recently, 75% of the works of the flesh deal with dividing us. Your flesh will always want to divide. The fleshly mind is an enemy of God and therefore it is an enemy of God's people. If it's an enemy of God, it stands to reason it's an enemy of the people of God. We are the children of God. So our own minds are fighting against us. And that's where later we're going to see some things about the fact that we need to be cautious to yield more to spirit, less to mind. Uh, get out of our heads, get in our hearts, as I always say. Yielding to the spirit, operating in agreement of the spirit. And this story about the friends of the paralytic show us a group of people accomplishing something amazing. And Jesus' interaction with it. So we see the people, we see Jesus representing the presence of God, which is the Holy Spirit we have today. And when they came together, there are things that play out in this story that I believe will show us important things about what we need to learn concerning our collaborative effort. Because if we get it right, there's nothing we can't do. If we really can find unity as the body of Christ, there's nothing impossible for the church, both universal and local. If we could all think the same, act the same, operate the same way, they were all together in one accord, in one place. They were breathing in and out passionately, it says in the Greek, all simultaneously together. There was nobody in the back with their arms folded in that day of Pentecost. There was nobody falling asleep in the corner. Everybody, every single one of them, were passionately desiring and believing for exactly the same thing. Now that is really a difficult thing to do. That's very hard. I preach a lot in different churches. I fashion in different churches. And to get everybody to agree simultaneously with equal fervor is a really hard task. Because people are distracted. It's also why I don't like people in services that are not connected. Sometimes people come... And I realize that sometimes it may be a helper, and I get that. But you know that helper that is not concentrating is a distraction to the unity. And sometimes I feel the drag of it. And I'm not, I'm, it's okay that they come, but sometimes I can feel it. Sometimes someone may come, and I can tell there's an individual in the room that is more concerned about what people are saying on Facebook, social media, some type of communication at that moment. And I, I can tell the difference, believe me, when somebody's checking their Facebook status and when somebody's looking at the digital Bible on their device. Because I feel the, the unity or the lack thereof. And it's so important that we figure out how to all come into an agreement. Because if we can do that, 
then the synergy of that is immeasurable, unstoppable, and is super powerful. It is also the atmosphere into which the Holy Spirit will do His greatest exploits in the manifestation of His Spirit. That's why you hear preachers and teachers like uh, Benny Hinn, who was discipled by Catherine Coleman in their meetings, they were very strict about absolute concentration. Any distractions whatsoever, anybody not focusing, they would even have them removed. They would even say, you know, that person, please take them away, take the Holy Spirit is offended. You know, Benny Hinn, would all, he keeps this atmosphere. Because that my pastor or my Bible school teacher, Jim Clark, used to taught us a class called Keeping the Anointing. And it was about that. How can you keep unity? We must endeavor to keep the unity of the faith, the bond, it says. There's a bond of spirit that forms when we have unity, when we're all focused. And one of the ways that we can do that, of course, is through communication. Spirited, empowered preaching is helpful because it comes across with such authority that one is afraid not to pay attention. And that's where it is important that as we become preachers and teachers, that we not be afraid to speak as one having authority. Let people take note that we had been with Jesus, like it said of the disciples. They took note of the fact that they'd been with Jesus. They speak as those having authority. Why? Because Jesus taught them and then released the anointing for that power to come out of them. So when we speak boldly, recently we saw that message, speak boldly, say the words out loud, that is the authority that comes out of us. And we do that together in unity. Well, that's powerful. Because later some of you will pastor churches and groups and you may already be doing that and leading groups. It is your task to find the way to bring everybody into unity to be able to agree. Now, of course, not everyone is going to agree at all times on all things. That's a virtual impossibility. So you have to pick your fights. Amen? You have to choose the endeavors that you want to do as a group that you believe you can get everybody on board with. And this is part of the difficulty of leading the church. Is that there are different personalities, different ideas and thoughts, and some people will democratically vote not to agree with you in what may be the objective or the work. Well, even though you may dominate and say that, well, I'm the pastor, I'm the leader of this group, it's the way it's going to be, it may be counterproductive for you to make that stand because ultimately you're not going to have the unity. So better choose something you think everybody can be agreed on. And because we see this phrase again and again in the Bible about God's people, and it says, and everyone agreed. And in fact, when people would say or suggest things, they would say, if you agree, and God agrees. It's like even the Old Testament patriarchs were seeking the agreement factor to form synergy of hope, focus, a collaborative faith between everyone agreeing. And it'll say, when they have done that, it'll say in the Bible words to this effect. They spoke as one man. There's places in the Bible speaks, they spoke as one because they all thought the same. And this is where Paul said, you know, let this um, be in use. It was, let there, there be this, this like-mindedness with Christ. All of you together think that way. So anyway, we know that this is how unity comes. We come into agreement. At least about the given task. And that's why it's not hard for us to get the Holy Spirit to come and cooperate in our meetings because there's nobody here that doesn't want that. When there is, I know it and I can feel it. And now when they are ignorant and don't know either way, it doesn't affect it. Because then they are witnessing something. Then they can experience it. But when we really want it, when we really agree, whatever we agree on, God will do. And so that means the manifestation of His presence. And, you know, so sometimes when there is a disagreement for you to be effective, you have to compartmentalize yourself into different groups. And that's why every ministry eventually divides up into subgroups that are heading up or committees almost that are doing certain tasks because the people who join that group are fervently interested in that thing so they can do that individually. And they may, it may be feeding the poor, it may be missions work, it may be whatever the case is, it may be visitation in hospitals and you give a people like mine, it may be intercession. Some people have a real heart for intercession. They want to pray, and, and that's fine, but find people that are in agreement with you. 
Because you're not going to get everybody to intercede with you. That's what I found in my experience. You're not going to get everybody to go on visitation to hospitals and pray for the sick. Uh, you can try all you want. You can put the invitations out all day long. But ultimately, the only ones that are going to join you are the ones that agree with your vision. And so make sure that the group that you're with is one. This is all part of the things that we see in what this is. And we're not even into the message here first. I want to um, lay that foundation. But I think you know what I'm saying now. Seven things about the synergy of hope. We begin with number one. <clears throat> the atmosphere of collaborative faith. Now each one of these start with the letter A to help you remember them. So the first thing is the atmosphere. It says in Luke chapter 5, we're going to be reading from two places in the synoptic gospels of Luke and Mark where this story appears. In Luke 5, 17, one day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. In Mark 2, 1, the account says a few days later, Jesus went again, entered Capernaum. The people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that the room, uh, there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Now, in a composite of the two places this story is mentioned already, we see a number of factors that are very important. Uh, that Jesus is teaching... Uh, that uh, people are coming and gathering. We see that people hear that Jesus is there, and then they gather in large numbers. We see that he preached the word. We see all these elements, and we see that the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. So these are really elements of the atmosphere of what we need to see a collaborative faith take off or become effective. These are four elements I've identified for you of the atmosphere of collaborative faith. The first one is the people heard that Jesus was there. In other words, it all starts with this fact that we hear. When she heard that Jesus was in Simon's house, she took her alabaster box and went. When the Syrophoenician woman heard that Jesus was passing that way, she went to him and begged for the healing of her daughter. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was going by, he cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. You know, these are all the times that people hear and do something. The woman with the issue of blood, she heard Jesus was there, so she went to him. And it all starts with this fact. We must hear about Jesus in the presence of God and respond to it by seeking him. Not waiting for him to seek us, but for us seeking him, seeking his presence, seeking his power, the anointing. Every believer has an individual obligation to seek and find the presence and power of our king for his or her own life. So that we can join together in a group of like-minded people in a harmony of efforts. Now, at, at the very beginning of what is the atmosphere of collaborative faith, or a cooperative of faith, there's so many words you could say in, that, in place of it. You have to yourself first obtain the Holy Spirit. You have to be filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, calling on God in your personal life. But once you have a relationship with God, then you will go where other people have that same relationship. And that's where the power really starts to flow and move. And it says they heard this, so they're here in the truth. They're coming together. The second thing is they gathered meaning they grouped together. This is the image of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, gathering together. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. We are the church, two or more gathered in one place. Alone, we can, we can do nothing truly effective. Now, it may seem that way when you think that although an individual can instigate and motivate an initiative of faith, there must be a gathering of souls agreeing with that person for it to develop synergy and therefore power. Jesus himself did not operate alone. The frenzy of faith that formed, the atmosphere of belief, the people that gathered around him, that's why he said, your faith healed you, because they believed and made choices and gathered together. So this is the thing. We first have the Spirit. We know God, but then it is up to us to gather, just like they did. They're gathering together. So many people are coming. They're filling the house. You already know this story before we get into it. The house is so filled, nobody else can enter it. And they are packed 
in the house. Why? Because they've heard and now they're choosing to gather. I want to gather with like-minded people. I want to gather with people who love the Holy Spirit to have a vision for the future. The third thing, it says that the word was preached. So before all else that the kingdom must accomplish for its king, we must receive the engrafted word. As it is called in James 1.21, we receive the transplanted word. In other words, the word of eternity comes into us. The word is spoken and is exactly like the scattered seed of the parable of the sower. So the seeds are given, but we, the ground, are responsible for our condition of hearing. So we have to take special care to make sure we hear carefully, that we listen intently, that we not be distracted. But then when God's words come forth, as Jesus was preaching, the word was preached, any atmosphere of faith requires these things, that you hear and you respond, you have a heart for God, you gather in a group of people that have the same mind, then you hear for a time the word, teaching, preaching, doctrine that comes forth from God's anointed people to get us all to grow and learn in the knowledge of the kingdom, thereby increasing the atmosphere in which this collective faith can be most effective. And of course, the power of the Lord was there. So we can gather all we want and make many choices, but really the anointing is what ultimately breaks the yoke. Now we can gather together, we can agree, we can, have, we can take a vote on it and have democracy of yays all in favor and everybody says yay and we're all in favor of something, but if the Holy Spirit's not there, then we really are not going to be able to do much. All we can do is what man can do. But what happens when what we are trying to accomplish is not a natural thing, but a spiritual thing? What happens when it's not a possible thing, but an impossible thing? Such as the healing of a paralytic friend in this story. Then we must have that amalgam of God and man. And that's the atmosphere where our faith is going to pay off and together as a group, we will do something amazing. So we must set as highest priority our placing a demand upon the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit in every gathering. I don't want a church service where God doesn't do something tangible. I don't want a meeting where God doesn't move in some way that somebody's losing control. I want people to feel that, and I place a demand on that long, long before I get here. I'm saying, God, move. Lord, touch the hearts of the people. Because without the anointing that breaks the yoke, we're just people. We might as well just be politicians. We might as well just be a good social group. We might as well just be a knitting guild or some group of people that agree about something that doesn't matter. But no, we agree on the salvation of souls for eternity. We agree on the manifestation of the Holy Spirit to heal people that are in difficult positions in life, mentally, emotionally, physically. We agree that there must be inner healing for the broken people of this generation that are desperate and dying without Christ. We are forming an atmosphere where that can happen and it is dependent entirely upon the Holy Spirit. And that's why you always hear me pray again and again, Holy Spirit, please, please don't leave us. Don't pass us by, Jesus. We are Bartimaeus, yelling out. We are the people crying out to God. So we saw, number one, Getting dizzy. The atmosphere of, of, of collaborative faith. Oh, the atmosphere. The atmosphere. Oh, that's what we agree on, amen. That's what we agree on. We agree on the If we can't agree on anything else, we agree on the atmosphere of heaven being a good thing to have. We sound like Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration. Lord, it's good for us to be here. Wherever, wherever the atmosphere of heaven forms. Oh, it's so good for us to be in the presence of God. 
The atmosphere. Imagine what it felt like in that room that day where everybody gathered and people were surrounding Jesus so thickly, smashed into that room that there's no room for anyone else to come in, attentively listening, the words being preached. He's teaching the power of God is present to heal. And everybody, I think, is quivering, their insides vibrating, waiting in expectation of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit or the stirring of the waters so that they'd be the first one in. When the angel stirs, everybody waiting to leap forward into action. They respond when they come into the presence after the Holy Spirit has come upon them. Then they receive power, that the power of the atmosphere is there. And I'm preaching to the choir. We agree. Amen? Amen. Uh, second thing, number two. Now we go on. The action of collaborative effort. Luke 5.18, some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Uh, they came and they tried to take him to the house to lay him before Jesus. In, in Mark 2.3, it says some men came bringing to him, to Jesus, a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Now we see some details emerging. There are four people carrying one man. Four people carrying one man. A group of people working together with one goal, one aim, one desire, taking action collectively because one person has needs. This man has no power to help himself. He's paralyzed. He cannot even inchworm crawl to Jesus. He cannot possibly get to Jesus. But these men are working together and they couldn't get in the house since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, it says. Then when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, it says in Luke, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Right in front of Jesus. They made an opening in the roof, it says in Mark, above Jesus by digging through it and then lowering the mat the man was lying on. I liked it. It says that they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. That's exactly where I want to be. I want everything that happens in my life be above Jesus so that when I go through that hole, there to meet me. <laughs> it's Jesus. Because I know if I can just get to Jesus, everything is going to be okay. I know that if I can just get to Jesus, there is nothing that cannot be accomplished. It's just a matter of getting there. And there will be obstacles. There will be difficulties. There will be trials. There will be blocked entrances. There's always a way, however, for us to get to Jesus. And there's always a way for us to get people to Jesus to expose them to the glory of God. I think we are the four men here tonight. We're already in the atmosphere. We know what God can do. But there are people out there who are spiritually paralyzed that they don't know this glory. They don't know the presence of God. And if we don't, by some method, find them and carry them there... They will not experience it. And the only good thing about a paralytic is they can't fight back. Amen? We can go abduct them and grab them from four different corners. You get one hand, I'll get one hand, and Valerie will get a foot, Eric get a foot, which is, and they can't fight back because they're paralyzed. And we will spiritually bring them to Jesus, no matter what it takes, we'll make it happen. I like this. That some men, four men, came carrying this guy. And really, this is the formation of the synergy of hope. They all have an expectation. They have hope. They were a collective of people that made decisions by believing together that their friend could be healed by the power of God. We saw it ever. Whatever we agree on, we gather. Two or three in his name, whatever we agree on, he will do. And this is exactly what we said. So try to imagine how this occurred. And this is what I see. Five steps 
to the action of their collaborative effort. Problem identified, concern expressed, strategy formulated, flexible plans altered, and then action taken. So remember, we're looking at this is just number two in the message, which is the action of a collaborative faith. And they first identify a problem. Well, they had a friend that was incapable of living a normal life due to the fact that he was paralyzed. And that's an issue. They were okay. They were strong enough to carry a litter or a cot. They were strong enough to bear at least 25% of the weight of their friend. So they were capable, able-bodied. We who are capable in realms of spirit, we who are capable in realms of knowledge, we have an obligation to carry the people that are not yet capable. Why? Because they will be capable and they will become as strong as we are if we can get them into the presence of Jesus. This was the problem that they identified. So in life, we will see issues and circumstances that are not ideal and even heartbreaking in the lives of people. And, and how we react to those circumstances really depends upon our level of compassion, doesn't it? What do we feel for people? Sometimes it's easy to turn a blind eye to someone's plight, to someone's need. Sometimes we just get so busy and really compassion is a, a, a very disruptive force in our life. Compassion can cause you to do things you don't want to do nor can afford. Compassion can drive you to ends that you do not have the means to reach. Compassion drove Jesus. Understand, Jesus' ministry was driven by Compassion, identifying impossible scenarios again and again, being moved with compassion and doing miracles to reach and help the people who were hungry. He multiplied loaves and fish. Who were blind, he was moved with compassion and he healed them. Who, who, all these things, who he saw the sheep like like they had no shepherds scattered and spread abroad. He was moved with compassion. So he was driven by compassion. And identifying the problem is really our compassion welling up inside of us. It's the feelings that we have. That we all feel. In fact, we can talk about it. And that's the second thing. Concern expressed. This is really what the church does when it, it intercedes without always taking steps to do something practical. Because we can gather as a group in the atmosphere of collaborative faith. But we can even concern or express our concerns to each other and pray and cry because we have feelings and we let those feelings out. But there's more to it than that. And we can't stop here. So they, these guys undoubtedly discussed amongst the four that there must be a solution sought and that there was a man who many said uh, may be the Christ and who had amazing powers. Either one of them or all of them knew about Jesus. It could have, however, been just one that first believed, thought about it, told the other three, and then they agreed, and then they all got together in accord to bring this one paralyzed man to Jesus. But let's just suppose that they all knew. And so by their concern expressed to one another, they knew this Jesus had this power to do this. So that's like us praying in intercession, Lord, pour your spirit out on the lost. Lord, go and touch them where they are in their homes. And sometimes we send, send the Holy Spirit like a drone. You know, just go, you fly over there and you convict them and you deal with them. And there's a certain element of that I totally agree with that God can move and do things by His Spirit supernaturally. But these people are not doing that. When they express this concern to each other, it immediately goes to another level. A strategy is formulated. What's their strategy? Uh, take them to Jesus. What does take him to Jesus mean? It means pray for him that he would know Jesus. No, it doesn't. It means take a, a helpless man that can't stop you and drag him to Jesus. Physically carry him to Jesus. So the four men formed this strategy as, as to how they could convey their friend to the atmosphere of faith and power where he would be healed. And really this is our choice. We decide whether or not to do these things. But these things are physical, not spiritual.
And this is the problem. We can be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. You've heard me say that before. That there is a practical and there is a spiritual. And we need to do the practical thing that we can do to reach into people's lives. If we decide to use our faith together to change the things of this life, we will have to make a plan. We make some type of strategy, some type of outreach, some something. Let's go invite this guy to have coffee. Let's go, you know, this person that um, she doesn't really want to come to church. What should we do? Well, hey, let's just go do something else with her. Let's go to the park together. Let's, these are like strategies in which you can find a way, formulate a strategy that will get them into the presence of talking because two or three gathered is enough. So it could be just you and Starbucks, a couple of believers or four believers with one lost guy. Wouldn't be a bad thing, that way you can gang up on them. Get one lost guy, four saved guys, and go have coffee together. What's going to happen at that table? Jesus is going to be spoken of. Not only will he be spoken of, but it will be the most popular subject of the table. Because the others will agree. So within that synergy of conversation, and if they are smart, and they are, he that winneth souls is wise, if they're smart, they'll know how to temper, moderate, and sprinkle little bits of holy salt out just for the right flavor to help gingerly, carefully, lovingly give that person a chance to come into that knowledge. But before that can ever happen, those guys are going to have to make a plan. And they're going to have to decide, all right, you get that side, you get that side, I get this side, you get that side, let's pick up our paralyzed friend and let's take him to the atmosphere of faith. And we do that in any way that we can. Finally, now, of course, we make plans, but flexible, flexible plans are going to be altered. The men met with the disappointing fact that they could not find a way to enter the house where Jesus was, as per their plan. That was their plan. Their strategy was not to go through a hole in the roof. That was not their strategy. There's no way that before they ever started that day, while the paralyzed guy's still laying there, they're in the house of origin talking, you know, I heard about this guy named Jesus. Yeah. Well, you know, I, the only way you can really get to him is make holes in roofs. Oh, so that should be our plan. No way. They didn't think about that. They were just flexible. One of the reasons why often we don't accomplish things for God is because we are not flexible enough. We don't change. We can't. We're not light on our feet. We can't quickly move. Think of what we do for God more like a sporting event and we are a ball player. You can make all the plans you want with the coach and draw the diagrams on boards, the action play of the game, but when it comes down to it, you have to be light on your feet and scoring a goal comes from someone that did something unorthodox that was not in the plan. They held the basic plan, but ultimately they did something fancy footwork. They got the ball and they made it away. And the coach, the co you think the coach is mad because they deviated from the plan? No, he's the one screaming, go! He's excited because the, the whole collaborative effort of the teamwork is that you make a goal, that you win the game. So it is also with us. But we have to be flexible in our plans. When our plans fail, we have choice. Quit or be flexible. Light on your feet, like I say, and seek another way. So these guys, they get to the house, they cannot get in, and they are looking at the people standing in the way, and you know, they probably said, tapping someone on the shoulder that looked back from inside the house, yeah, what do you want? And they said, look, we have a paralyzed friend. And they probably, you know, turn in that person, turn around and say, yeah, well, I have a dead baby. Because <laughs> they were, the, all of them were there for something. All of them were there for something. So he might not even rank very high. You understand? A couple of guys turn around and they're white like snow, lepers, you know, turn around. And you don't know what's in that house. People with needs, so you can't assume that your need is more. So they, they were disappointed, obviously. And I always think of it like this way I envisioned it years ago. They were disappointed and sad, tears forming in their eyes, looking at each other. Man, we tried, we tried. Maybe a couple of them wanted to quit and just let's just go back home, maybe another day. And one of them, I think, just got this feeling there has to be another way. They had, let's just pray. Father. And when he looked up and prayed, he saw the roof. Because that's how fast God answers the prayer of people in the synergy of hope and faith. 
Father, I pray that you show us the way the roof. I think it happened that fast. Because I have seen things in my life when everything fell apart. I, I planted a church one time, or at least our ministry in Mexico planted a church one time because we got a flat tire. We were on our way to do this great event where the people were waiting. We had all the goods we were going to preach and teach. Hallelujah. Praise God. But really, it was a bunch of Christians that were just going to party together in God. Maybe we have a good message. And that the, we got a flat on the vehicle. The vehicle had to pull over the side of the road. People come from this village and said, Hey, you're the guy that fed us years ago when the disaster came. We were relocated. We didn't know how to find you. But we're here. Can you please come preach to us? Because in the middle of nowhere on a road in the desert, we ended up with a flat tire at the entrance to that village where those people had received Jesus years before from my preaching, but couldn't find us, nor how to connect to us. They said, can you come and teach us? We said, yes. We went and taught. The church is still there to this day. It's called La Iglesia de Paulina. It's the Paulina Church. Because the hurricane... The name of the hurricane was Paulina, and the people, when they built the community, they named it after the hurricane that made them have to be put there in this government-built reserve. And the church is the church there, but it's still there to this day. Why? That was not planned, though. You understand? I always see so many beautiful things happen. If we're light on our feet, actions taken, the new plan involved a radical and forceful choice to go up there, break a hole in the roof, and, you know, honestly, for us, think about life. We might be required one day to do some things that are going to upset people. Nobody was happy, certainly not the homeowner. Whoever's house that was, and theologians mostly agree that it was Peter's house, actually. You think Peter was happy? I don't care how spiritual Peter was. It's his house. It's his house. You can be as holy as you want. If suddenly, you know, if in your paradigm of your house, your HCB flat or your walk-up or whatever house you have made of masonry, brick, and stone, suddenly you hear that annoying jackhammer sound. And you see dust falling in a hole. You're going to say, yay. Somebody has faith. Isn't that beautiful? No. No, there's going to be adversity. When we work together in a collaborative effort of faith, we must insist together to take action no matter what. And sometimes we're going to get in trouble. Number three. Now we see the affirmation of collaborative faith. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, this is fascinating. I read it today and really started thinking about it. Mark 2, 5 says basically the same. When he saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. When he calls him son, he calls him friend. But he's identifying one single individual, and that is the paralyzed man. He saw their plural faith, but spoke to the man. Because he, being God, already knew what was going on. Because he works in co-op, he signs and wonders follow us when we preach the word. He works with us, it says. So in spirit, the spirit operating in Jesus already knew that those men had one objective, and that was the healing of that man. So the first thing Jesus does is based upon this manifestation or this action, he affirms what they're doing. He gives them a positive affirmation and says, Son... Friend, you paralyzed God, your sins are forgiven. Then it's interesting because they were not bringing them him there for his sins to be forgiven. He, they were bringing him there obviously for him to be healed. But there's something deeper here. Jesus witnessed this action, right, of their collaborative faith. He responded with a reward of purification from sin for the paralyzed man. And that's why I think this is interesting. This took place before his healing. Before anything else, Jesus took his sins away. Jesus did this in affirmation or verification of the faith of the friends. And this plays more to the concept of what we see in the Bible that says we believe God and he counts it unto us as righteousness. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. We must first believe that he is and a rewarder. They believed that Jesus was. They believed that Jesus was a rewarder. And so their faith put an action, put a hole in the roof, they go down, Jesus saw it, and his affirmation was, okay, first, this 
act that you've done causes this atmosphere that's here to purify because God's presence purifies. It, what happens? The times of refreshing come. We repent, but the purification comes. And I'm sure this man was sorry for whatever problems were in his life. The sins are not identified. Maybe that was the reason why he was paralyzed. I don't know. We don't know the whole story, but it's interesting to see this separate thing going on for him because of the faith of these men. Now, when we take steps together to do something for God uh, and man as a collaborative faith, Jesus is closely watching, and the rewarding affirmation for our efforts comes even before we see anything accomplished. In other words, even if we don't accomplish it, the affirmation will be there because he's pleased that we are trying. There's no healing yet. They have not reached their goal. But he's already forgiven sin. He's already said, your sins are forgiven. They could have at that moment just pulled up a sin-free, paralyzed guy. And he would have been saved, in essence, of what? Of the fact that his sins were gone. He's purified, but still not healed. Because those are two totally different things. And God was layering his response. But grace is seen in this, the way that God loves. This is relative to what I said. We believe he counts on us as righteous. Now, all this is going on. It's a beautiful day, a beautiful thing. I've seen God do beautiful things. But the one thing you can always count on when God does something beautiful is for something ugly to show up. And that's where we see number four, the, adverse, the adversary of collaborative faith. The Pharisees, it's always there. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves. Right there is their error. That's where we make our mistake, right off the bat. You want to see the error of the Pharisees? They're thinking to themselves. Thinking to themselves. They're not accepting as truth the words that have already been preached. It says the word was being preached, taught. All these things were already explained. They're not listening the whole time. They're judging. And so inside their minds, they're thinking, because this was the straw that broke the camel's back, that he said, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They, they didn't like that. He said that, and that's probably exactly why Jesus said it. Jesus didn't have to say it. He doesn't always say that when he heals people. But he said it specifically and importantly for the Pharisees to hear so that they could get offended. Because Jesus was a very offensive person. He was. Every time, everywhere he went, he was offensive. He was offensive. Said things that disturbed people. Why? Because he was trying to jolt them out of their stupidity and ignorance. He's trying to wake them up to some facts, some truth. And I have found the adversary of collaborative faith everywhere the Spirit shows up. If the Holy Spirit manifests, if the power of God is present to heal, the atmosphere of faith is there. The adversary will show up. He will come. Either it's in our minds, in a mental realm, or it's an actual physical person that is opposing or working against it, or a family member that doesn't like your involvement in the atmosphere of faith. Whatever the case, the adversary is going to come. And we see this. Now some of the teachers of the law, it says in Mark, were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. How or who can forgive sins but God alone. So basically it says the same thing. So there's always going to be this resistance, but the good news is this, number five, the advocate of collaborative faith. Jesus knew what they were thinking. It says immediately in Mark, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? He says there in Luke. So in the story... When the enemies of faith rose in opposition of the actions being done, Jesus stood to defend and protect the atmosphere of collaborative faith and the motion because they had momentum now. But there's never going to be action without adversity. And so there must be an advocate to stand for you. We have an advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father where He ever lives to intercede for us. We also have an advocate, same Greek word, parakletos, called the Holy Spirit. That is always defending, protecting, leading us. This is actually, what I see here is discernment of the Holy Spirit in action. Jesus saw the motives of the hearts of wrong thinking. Now, wrong thinking can misguide us. In fact, let me just say this, take wrong thinking 
can misguide us. Thinking can cause us to miss the actions of faith by reasoning with the human mind. So when we're confused or challenged by the adversary's accusations and attacks, now it may be in a purely spiritual war, it says take every thought captive. Meaning it might be your thought. The carnal mind is an enemy of God. You might be thinking things. When that happens, you have a choice in that moment to either yield or take it captive. And instead of yielding to the theater of your own mind and imagination, yield to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, it says, knew in his mind. No, it doesn't say that, does it? It says Jesus knew in his spirit. They were thinking in their mind. Jesus was thinking or contemplating in spirit. So he discerned. He didn't imagine or think about it. He didn't guess it. He didn't, by experience, know, well, I pretty much bet these guys are thinking this. No, it says in his spirit, he knew. That is supernatural. But we have been given the same spirit. Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers. We need to operate in discernment of spirit, not in the, the, the conclusions of mind. Because that's where the enemy fights the strongest. That's a bad spiritual war goes on in the mind. It's not up in some distant galaxy. It's not in some, in some lofty heavenly lair where there's a battleground of angels and demons with swords fighting. No, it says that the battleground is right here in the thoughts. And if we can, that's why Satan didn't jump out like a viper and bite the neck of Eve. No, he spoke to her with thoughts. So, uh, didn't he say that you, you can eat all the... You know, he's like messing with her mind. And this is what happens. This is what the Pharisees are trying to do in that realm, in that room. What if suddenly the friends of the paralytic and the paralytic were to get offended? Because now it's a showdown. They've just said, this is wrong. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now the statement, the gauntlet is thrown down. Jesus identifies it there because he's the advocate. He knew in his spirit. And this is why he says, why are you thinking these things? He addressed it. Why are you thinking this? Why are you thinking in your head? And he probably repeated it. Why are you thinking that, that only God alone can forgive sins? Now, so they challenge with their thoughts, but Jesus as advocate has stood and he steps into the next realm, which is the authority, number six, the authority of collaborative faith. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know, I want to educate you, I want to enlighten you, I want you to change your mind about the things you're thinking, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. The same thing in Mark it says. So here the authority of the collaborative, the authority of collaborative faith speaks to the opposing ideas and mentalities or the lies and commands the impossible into being possible. And he's, they're not even making a request yet. It's obvious what is needed. The man's paralyzed on a mat being, I mean, come on, anybody could figure it out. But Jesus threw out there, I forgive your sins, to offend them so that he could expose stinking thinking and remove it and cause discernment of spirit to take its place. Because that's how the authority of God operates. Authority is, all right, if somebody, if somebody came to me and they have a policeman's uniform on with the revolver on their hip, and the nightstick on their belt, and a badge, and came and told me something, uh, I would do it. I'm, I'm, I would do it. Why? Because they are the authority. When authority speaks, you listen. And that's the same with the Spirit of God. When discernment speaks, it is the authority of God. And it will say to the thing that is wrong, and challenge your wrong thinking, but it's up to you to make the choice to get out of your head and into your heart. And it's not always going to be easy. But really, the worst has already been done. They've already busted the hole through the roof. So they're invested. And now this man comes down and Jesus speaks in authority because this is what will always happen. 
So the authority of collaborative think, speaks to the opposing ideas. The power of the confession of the collaborative exceeds the power of the confession of the individual. In other words, the group is decided. And what this is, you see this pattern throughout the Bible, you know, where the scripture says uh, uh, one can rout a thousand of the enemy and two can defeat ten thousand. Well, that's an exponential multiplication of what you can do with someone else instead of by yourself. In fact, it even says don't go by yourself. If, if, if go by two. Because if you fall, they can help you up. You know, it speaks about synergy, collectiveness in this pattern. Well, you see it here. So these friends formed an alliance together with the goal of healing their paralytic friend. They brought him to the atmosphere of faith forged by the collaborative effort of them believing, amalgam of God and man. Then when challenged by adversaries, the Pharisees and the thoughts, they were defended by the advocate, Jesus, and authority was released. But they had to choose. They had a choice. Those men were elders. Those men were authority in the natural realm. And they had the law on their side. You understand? The law. Enough to imprison people. And they said, this is wrong. And Jesus said, yeah, but what if I do it anyway and this guy gets healed? What do you think then? And he challenges the whole system at the fact that they said that is wrong. They had a choice to pull that man back up out of that hole. And there are a lot of people that would and a lot of people that have. When they were on the verge of experiencing something amazing, when the, the adversity comes, they withdraw, they pull back, and they're afraid and that's where the disciples had to tell the authorities, well, will you be the judge? Should we obey man or obey God? Which one should we do? And they were under threat of imprisonment at that moment. And you just, you need to stop doing this. Well, we would like to help you, but you're man. And God told us to do this. And that just sounds sassy, rebellious, and bad. It sounds like they're in rebellion. Well, they were in rebellion. But there is a civil disobedience that has to come about in life when we yield to the Spirit. And it doesn't mean that this world will finally, oh, because it's civil disobedience, we accept that. No. They still are going to fight it. That We still may end up, if you are a Christian, you confess your faith in certain countries, they still will kill you. They still will arrest you. They still, but it's your choice whether they say it or not. Some go to that realm to do it. So now we see all this taking place. So many interesting things here happening in this atmosphere they're challenged by these adversaries, but Jesus the Advocate stands up. Authority is released because they believe. Because they believe. And number seven, see the last one, the amazement of collaborative faith. Immediately he stood up in front of them. That's in front of everybody. That's in front of the friends, peeking through the hole, in front of the Pharisees, in front of Jesus, in front of everybody. This guy on the mat paralyzed just suddenly gets up and everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things. We have never seen anything like this, they say in Mark. We've never seen anything even in full view, it says this was done. That was the whole point. Jesus was showing off. Jesus was manifesting his power. Did you know that God wants to manifest His power in front of people who do not even understand or agree with Him? He wants the showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. He wants us to step far enough into faith that we call fire down to the altar to lick up the water out of the trench, to see amazing, miraculous things. Why? So that the people witnessing that will believe. And that's what God is leading us to do. So the people were entirely amazed and astonished at the display of the glorification of God through this miraculous outcome. But all of it came about, how? By the faith of four guys. Collaborative effort of faith, working together. When we choose to agree to accomplish the mighty works of God, there's nothing to stop us if we believe. And when I was, was doing this today, just last minute before I walked through that door to come preach, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and I wrote this down. Where in the past individuals shine brightly in the church to lead people uh, 
the Holy Spirit is stepping up to a new position of leadership by increasing the release of His power in our collaborative efforts. That no one individual will get credit. No one individual will gain fame. But that the group will be seen as a mass of people doing something and they won't even know who's leading it. Because the Holy Spirit will have such freedom and control over us that we all just say yes sir. And that we don't even have to have a vote about it. We don't have to discuss it. We'll all just smile and nod knowingly at each other. Like, yeah, you feel that, right? Let's just do it. You know, when the Holy Spirit comes in the room and we're all like, that's it. That's it. That's what we're doing. And no one's fighting that. We just go where the Spirit goes. It's going to increase, he told me today. He says, where? <laughs> he says, where I have been made welcome, I will visit more frequently. He says, where I have been invited, I will respond to the invitation. But I will come and I will take ownership, says the Lord. I will come and I will set up my habitation of constancy. And I will operate and move as I please. And I will not always regard your wishes and desires because this is my church, says the Lord. This is my kingdom, my realm, and I am the king. And I will do as I please and you will willingly subject yourself to my directives and my mandates because my spirit is upon you and I have little by little through incrementation of the release of my power been causing you to become addicted to the wonders of my presence and now you are sufficiently saturated and addicted and connected to my spirit that there is nothing you won't do to keep me with you, says the Lord. Because of your love for my spirit. Because you place a demand on me, says the Lord. I'm coming with force. I'm coming with power. I will do as I please. I will do when, how, where I please. And this is because you have honored me. You have invited me. You have called me by name. You have insisted specifically in this manifestation of my power and my authority. Collaboratively, you together as a group are all deciding for me to be the force that moves through what you do. That I would be the authority over all things. So I will tower high above any man's name, any man's reputation, or any man's fame. I will be God of these people, says the Lord. I will be God of this church. A new movement will be formed in this nation. Through many churches simultaneously, this same thing will happen. There will be many different groups that are suddenly, explosively stepping out into realms of the Spirit. Some of those groups have not really implored. Some of them have not really sought, but I will do a total blanket work through this nation. I will move in my authority and power. And those who yield to me will see amazing things happen in this day and this hour. Because my day has come. And I will take my rightful place over this church. This is my church. I paid for it. And I own it, says the Lord. And I have the title deed written in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The more we work together, the more powerful the atmosphere of God will form. Think of the early church. Think of the early church. They had all things in common. They worked together in a collaborative effort of spirit. And they did amazing things. Miracles happened like, like it, it, constant. Constantly. They would just take handkerchiefs and aprons and take them and throw them on people and get them healed, that there's so much power was being poured out. But if it's written, it's for us. If it's in the Bible, it's for us and beyond the greater works He will give us. If we together, in a collaboration, a coordinated response, the synergy of faith and hope, agree, and I know that we do in Jesus' name. These are the things we saw. Men on the roof. Seven things about the synergy of hope. Number one, the atmosphere of collaborative faith. We saw that atmosphere form. Number two, the action of collaborative faith. They made a plan. They were flexible. But they did something. They weren't just sitting there praying. They did something to meet the needs of their friend. The affirmation of collaborative faith. Jesus saw it. 
He saw their faith and then said to that man, your sins are forgiven. And of course, the adversary rose. They criticized it. But then the advocate also rose in counter to challenge their wrong thinking, correcting it through discernment versus uh, human mentality, and then using his authority in that moment to cause that man to stand up healed for the miracle to happen. And finally, the amazement of collaborative faith. Everybody was amazed. There was no denying that it was a miracle. They knew that man was paralyzed. Uh, if, if not anybody else, those four guys absolutely knew without a shadow of a doubt that a miracle just took place. But I suspect that everybody knew. You know, that it was not a big, a big town. It was not that big. It was small. It was small. So people knew people and they knew who's what and when, how and where. So the miracle was there. And I'm looking forward to God doing miracles in our midst so that we can see those things happen and that people can come and witness those things. Miracles right here. You know, just people here getting healed, delivered, wherever we are, wherever the church moves and goes, let the miracles take place so that people can be convinced by the power of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg. Thank you.